If you would turn with me in Romans chapter 14, let's be reading verses 16 through 19. This is the living word of God. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we desire to exalt you this morning with attitudes of expectancy to learn from your precious word and then with obedience to apply it. And so we pray for wisdom to understand and then by the power of your indwelling spirit to obey. And we ask for this in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it was about four years ago and I was preaching on from 2 Timothy 2, and this is on endurance or spiritual endurance, endurance in the race that is sometimes very challenging, difficult um, in our lives. And I was sharing about Ernest Shackleton. don't know if you remember that, if you remember that story. And in fact, the, the ship that they were on in the south, uh, going to the South Pole was called the Endurance. And they were heading there on what turned out to be a, an amazing uh, feat of endurance by the men who survived. But it was also to me, as I got to thinking about it, a picture of not only their endurance of, of all they went through, but their pursuit of something that was very uh, difficult at that time. It's still difficult. There's still people trying to go to the South Pole, and it's still difficult. And it is quite a pursuit. And I didn't find much overt faith. I remember as I studied that back then, uh, in, in the Lord, there was not any direct references to Shackleton's faith or his desire to pursue this to glorify the living God or of the men that uh, 5,000 men applied to go on that trek. Only 28 were chosen, and all 28 survived. And they went for adventure, I guess. They went for fame, some of them. And so it seems, apparently, that many people were willing, 5,000 anyway, that were applied for that, they were willing to endure such a risk to pursue something as dangerous as that was. Because for them, somehow it had value. Uh, there was some personal benefit in, in such a, a life-threatening uh, trek. So their, their pursuit was to them, apparently, worth their life, literally. I think they were told that the chance of you returning is not that great. But they pursued it. Many people sought to, to go. And it's incredible to me what some people will do in the pursuit of fame or notoriety uh, or excitement, I guess. In the Guinness Book of Records, I looked that up just as I was going through this preparation, and it amazes me what people will do to get their name in that book. Just incredible to me. And they pursued it. They, they gave their life to it at least some points of their life. And, you know, athletes do that, of course. Athletes pursue something. Uh, they pursue success and fame, especially if they want to go to the Olympics. And as an unbeliever, when I was in high school, I was certainly pursuing, maybe not fame, but I was a gymnast. That's all I really wanted to do. I wanted to be good at it. I was okay as a student, but my real desire, the real pursuit of my heart was to be a good gymnast. But, you know, really everyone here has a pursuit. You're all pursuing something. Um, could be 
Some people are pursuing comfort or power or control or fame or wealth, like I just mentioned. Uh, they're pursuing per personal peace and rest, not that these things are bad. Uh, they're pursuing uh, security, possibly happiness, liberty, free freedom from bondage. They're pursuing hope in the Lord. Those things are a blessing. And all Christians are called to pursue the Lord. That is very clear in Scripture. They're, pursue, they're called to follow hard after him, it says. In the King James Version, Psalm 63, verse 8, so David said, my soul follows hard after you. So David was following hard after the Lord. We are clearly called to follow hard, to pursue the knowledge of the living God. And we're called also to pursue holiness. That is also very clear. Without which, it says in Hebrews, we will not see the Lord. So we must pursue holiness. We have to pursue holiness if we want to see him who has called us. And because we are his, together in his body, the church, we are clearly, again, called to pursue peace with one another. We are to be peacemakers, in fact. And as we read from Romans 14, we're to pursue the things, it says, which make for peace. All of those things which make for peace, we are to pursue all of those things. So there's a lot of pursuit involved here. It's probably the main Part of the sermon today is to challenge ourselves. Are we in this body pursuing what God has called us to? Pursuing the things that make for peace. And then it says the things by which one may edify another. They're kind of included. We're to pursue ways to edify each other even more than we already are. And this is a pursuit that we have embarked on by the calling of God. It's a pursuit we are commanded to take and to continue to pursue. And so that's why we're talking about it today. We believe you're, we are pursuing this here. We're calling to press on in that pursuit. It's a pursuit which pleases the Lord, and, it, and it's a great blessing in each other's lives. And so as we look at the pursuit of peaceful relations in the body of Christ, I'd like to begin by doing a brief word study on the two main words. There's only three words in the title. One is an, act, uh, one is an action, that is pursue. And the other is the object of that action. In this case, it is peace. These are the two key words uh, in Romans 14. And in the other three texts, they're on the top of your notes there. Psalm 34, 14 says, seek peace and pursue it. 2 Timothy 2, 22, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. There's four there. Peace is in that list. Pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So the title of the sermon is Peacemakers Pursue Peace. We got three P's in there. And I tried to think of some gestures, although it's short enough, we probably don't need gestures to remember. Rodney is so helpful in that. Uh, but I couldn't really think of, well, I thought, you know, pursue, maybe something like that, you know, running, I, I don't know. I couldn't think of any gestures related to peacemaking or peace. Uh, I should have asked Rodney sooner. But looking at these words, the first word is pursue. So when you look that up in the dictionary, of course, it says to chase after something or to uh, go after something or to seek eagerly. Basically, you're seeking eagerly for something. But this is the part that I like the best. It said sustained effort over a period of time. Okay? And I think that's maybe the difference when it says seek peace and pursue it. Yeah, you can seek it. But pursuit is a different level that we're talking about. It's sustained effort over a period of time. 
Christians are called to a sustained pursuit of peace all their lives. And we do that together. We, we must do that together. And most of the 90 times that I found pursue in the Old Testament had to do with relation to battle. Not so much what we're talking about here. Uh, and there are only a few uses of pursuit uh, in the Old Testament not related to battle. So you're either pursuing somebody in battle or they were pursuing you. And of those few, there are very few verses using that uh, word, in that particular word in the Old Testament, uh, related, to, uh, those who, is related to those who pursue what is not pleasing to the Lord. Three, in fact, Ezekiel 33 said, but their hearts pursue their own gain. It's an example of what we should not be pursuing. Whatever it is that pleases us. Proverbs 11 said, as righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. So pursuing evil is utter foolishness. You're pursuing it to your own death. And then the other word, uh, use of the word pursue is in Hosea 12, verse 1. It said, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind, pursuing folly. And there are just a few uses of uh, the word pursue in the Old Testament related to that which is good. Hosea 6.3 says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Other versions say press on. Let us press on in knowing God. Psalm 34.14, we've already shared, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. And in the New Testament, the word pursue is used eight times, a few in pursuing love or what is generally good of anyone to pursue. And as you can see in these four verses uh, on the top of the notes there, all of which both use, both, uh, they all use both of those words, use the action word pursue, and the object of our pursuit is peace. And as the children of the Lord, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to that. So specifically, we're talking about the pursuit this morning, we're talking about the pursuit of peaceful relationships among ourselves, among fellow members of the body of Christ. And I would ask at the beginning here that you uh, be thinking about or asking yourself, how is my pursuit of peace going here among those in this church family or among those in your own family or among individuals? Am I chasing after, using that definition, am I chasing after this pursuit of peace among my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I involved in a sustained effort for peaceful relationships over a long period of time, over all the time that I'm, I'm here? Have I been doing that? Now, the object of our peace, just quickly, uh, the peace is in the Bible many times, probably around 400 times. And so I will just tell you of the four categories I could see. Uh, first of all, peace is a greeting. It's a very common greeting. It still is in the Middle East. You know, peace be to you. Very common greeting. You're hoping they have peace. Secondly, peace, the peace in your heart, that which is the personal uh, peace that you have, especially in times of trial, the personal peace that God, God gives us by his grace. Philippians 4, 7, you, you all know this. It's, this is the peace that passes all understanding, the peace uh, that we have as we cast our cares upon him in prayer. Isaiah 26, 3 is a wonderful world, word, part of the word to meditate on. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In fact, indeed, there is no perfect peace outside of our Father in heaven, aside from us have our minds, having our minds stayed on him. And then third, there is peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace uh, and the reconciliation he purchased for us on the cross. And that uh, was by our Prince of Peace. And then lastly, which is the topic of today, peace with others, or relational peace, or harmony. 
And so we'll be looking at specifically the source and the power of our peace and our peacemaking. We'll be looking at the blessings of the pursuit of peace uh, as peacemakers. And we'll be looking at what relational peace looks like a little bit and how to pursue it. So point number one, peacemakers pursue peace by being near the Prince of Peace. Indeed, the Lord is the peacemaker and the source of all true and lasting peace. He purchased our peace with God. Romans 5.1, having therefore been justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God that our salvation, that our justification is by faith, not by works. Salvation by works does not bring peace or reconciliation, the true reconciliation. Salvation by works, in fact, generally brings doubt in ourselves and competition possibly among us. Not really peace. Our only hope to have peace with one another is in our justification through the Lord Jesus, which unites us, in fact, in the Lord. And we have the example of our Lord Jesus in being a peacemaker, as we are called to be peacemakers, we, as we seek to be the, a better peacemaker. And we can pursue peace only because the Lord has made peace with God possible. He purchased it for us. And we should daily praise him. Daily, we should praise the living God for his coming, for his dying for us, for making that peace possible. The peace that we, by his grace, know here. But we cannot know without him. For the peace that we can have with the living and holy God through his work alone. What, what was that work? We could look at many verses, but Isaiah 53, 5 came to my mind. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Praise God, our peace is in him. If you'd turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2, I'd like to look at just a few verses there. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll look at verses 14 through 16. I'm going to be sharing maybe a little bit of what Ray shared. This is about two months, maybe three months ago, Ray shared from Ephesians 2 in his communion meditation on this passage. And Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, He himself, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is our peace, who has made both one, so we're talking about two parties, two groups here, he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And there was a middle wall of separation. These two groups were separated. He broke that down. So two groups that were not relating in peace, uh, they were divided, became one in the Lord Jesus. He himself reconciles people to God in himself. And then as people are reconciled to God, their common focus becomes him, becomes the Lord Jesus. And it reminded me of the triangle. I think Phil usually shares this related to marriage, but you have the triangle, and at the peak is the living God. And he is our main pursuit. But as two groups, or a husband and wife, or two individuals who are in conflict uh, are pursuing him, they are becoming near to each other. They're becoming reconciled to each other. Our Lord Jesus breaks down walls of separation, and he brings us together in him. And then verse 15 says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So through his death, through the death of the Lord Jesus, by coming in the flesh and then dying on the cross, our Lord Jesus abolished this enmity between God and us. He bore the just wrath of God for our sin, for our rebellion against his law, which separated us from our creator. And this then, it says, created in himself one new man, one, two, one new person out of the two, thus making peace among his chosen people. He made it possible. And then it says in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to you who were near. 
to the Jews, or to the Gentiles and to the Jews. For through him we both, all of us, have access by one spirit to the Father. So through the Lord Jesus, we have access by one spirit to our Heavenly Father, and that common spirit makes true peace, makes true peaceful relationships possible. Our Lord came to preach peace, it says, and to make it possible. Our peace comes through Christ, through our unity in Him, as we all come to the Father together, to whom we have access through the Lord Jesus. And we are to be peacemakers, brothers and sisters. It's a clear command and clear call to show unbelievers also what that's like, the love that we have for one another, and to be a testimony of the peace possible only in the Lord Jesus. Peaceful relationships are all too rare. Outside of the church, especially, it's all too rare. They stand out anywhere you see them, especially to the people around us who do not know that peace. So we need to model what it is to be peacemakers. Peacemaking is not just for our own uh, individual peace or comfort, or even peace in the body of Christ, but it's also to point others to the Lord as they see those in the body relating like this. Not perfectly, of course, but we're growing in it. And it should cause those who do not know the Lord, so they don't know this, kind of, this depth of peace, uh, or even believe in that peace is possible at all, it should cause them to look at us and turn to the Lord of peace. And so peacemakers pursue peace by being near the Prince of Peace, by communing with him, by focusing on him together. He himself is our peace, it said. And the pursuit of the Lord Jesus, that following hard after him, is the only way to begin and then to continue the pursuit of peace and to be peacemakers. No matter how peaceful your nights, say, of rest may be, I believe you need to meet with the Prince of Peace each day. And I would suggest each morning, before the day gets on too much, we need to commune and be near the Prince of Peace in order to have that kind of uh, possibility to be peacemakers. To give thanks to the Father, of course, for the peace that the Lord Jesus paid for us on the cross, and then to prepare to be a peacemaker on any given day. Well, secondly, then, related to the source of peace is the power of our peace. And we don't it's hard for us to do this by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And when God makes a calling, when God gives a calling, it is, as it is clear to us here, he gives us the power to carry out that calling. He is a gracious and merciful Heavenly Father. So peacemakers pursue peace by walking in the Spirit or with the Spirit of peace. And unless the peace of God rules in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the pursuit of peace and our role as peacemakers is really challenging, at the least, and powerless. In John chapter 14, you know this passage, the Lord was uh, telling his disciples, they were very fearful, they knew he was leaving, and he, had, he was preparing them, he was seeking to comfort them. And he said in verse 26, but the helper, or the comforter, or the paraclete in Greek, it means the, the one who comes alongside and is always with you, he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Well, that had to be comforting. And I'm not going to leave you alone. I will give you a, a comforter, a helper to keep uh, teaching them, to be reminding them of all that he taught them. And then he said, peace I leave with you. In other words, you'll never be alone. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is a gift that can't be returned. He said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So their peace would come because the spirit of peace was given to them, and he is indwelling them. Jesus was leaving physically, but his spirit of peace would be left for them to live lives of peace, no matter what was going on in their lives. And for them, that was an unpeaceful environment, but they lived lives of peace. And so we here should not let our hearts be troubled or afraid. We should seek to live and to walk in the spirit with the spirit of peace. And that happens when we seek the Lord through his word and when we speak with him often in prayer. Galatians 5 tells us that part of the fruit of the spirit is peace. This is the result of walking with the Spirit. The Spirit leads, and the Spirit leads us uh, by the Word of God. Romans 14, as we read earlier, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's kind of defining, what is, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul was telling the Romans that being involved in the kingdom of God is not keeping dietary rules perfectly, for example, or ceremonial rules, but it's walking in the Spirit. Peace in the Spirit marks us as members of Christ's kingdom. And may we here impact the kingdom of God as peacemakers through being filled with the Spirit of peace. Romans 15, verse 13, is a prayer I often pray for you, my dear brothers and sisters who are struggling, some with a lack of personal peace and, and harmony right now, with a lack of relational peace also. Romans 15, uh, verse 13 tells us that uh, we can be filled with peace by faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That verse is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I would suggest that is something to memorize and, and pray often. Galatians 5 again says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we are alive in the Spirit, by the Spirit, if we have been regenerated, if our eyes have been opened to the truth of who He is, if we are born again, then we have the calling and we also have the power in the Spirit to walk in peace. And we do that by the Spirit of peace. So ask I would suggest, ask the Spirit to fill you and to cause you to walk by His power in your pursuit of peaceful relationships. So peacemakers are able to pursue peace by walking in the Spirit, by walking with the Spirit of peace. Third, peacemakers pursue peace and they're blessed. They're blessed by being peacemakers. They're blessed by the Lord. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are blessed by God to have this, uh, a growing sonship kind of relationship with the Prince of Peace, with the Almighty God, with the God who loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. And because they are related then to the Lord, who is the source and the power of our peace, they reflect him. We reflect him as his children, as believers should be growing as peacemakers. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Some versions say, be imitators of God as dear children. 
So as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God, we will become more like him, praise God, and we will imitate him, and thus we will be better peacemakers. We'll be more able to carry out our role to bring peace into a situation where there is no peace, into broken relationships, and we can help reconcile others to God or reconcile uh, us to each other. And not only are peacemakers blessed to be more like their heavenly father, but they are blessed with loving relationships. What a blessing in, we have in this body. I want to, I just praise God for how that is growing. Your elders rejoice that in a relative sense, I guess, over 20 years, we've been a church for 20 years. We have this peace here. We are growing in this peace by his great grace. But your elders also believe that we are called to pursue it. And that's what we're talking about here. Pressing on beyond the joy, the great joy we have and the peace we have now here. And not only are peacemakers blessed to be more like their Heavenly Father, as I said, we are blessed to have loving relationships with each other because of our Christ-like character. And we are blessed with the joy of helping others come to peace with God and, and to have peace with each other. 2 Corinthians 13 is an amazing promise. There's an amazing promise here. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11 says, it's a command in the beginning. It says, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with those. He is near to those who live in peace. This is the I think the greatest possible blessing we could have, the promise that the Lord himself, the Lord of peace, will be with you. To have the God of peace with us. He is pleased with those who are peacemakers. Psalm 34 tells us, as I said several times, seek peace and pursue it. And in this part of Psalm 34, David was asking a question, actually. This is an answer to his question. And he, the question he asked was, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may say good? And part of his answer was, the one who seeks peace and, and pursues it. We must pursue this together also. 2 Timothy 2.22. I read this also. We are to pursue these four qualities in that list. Righteousness, faith, love, and then peace. We're to pursue peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, we must do this together. We don't do well. We certainly don't do well in trying to do it by ourselves. Our marriage relationships, our family relationships, our relationships with uh, others in this church family are the training ground for godly relationships. And these institutions are where we are trained to pursue peace and to be peacemakers. We are being trained to reconcile. We have to learn that. We all have to learn that. We're being trained to relate as a family in the Lord. And this training does not happen by avoiding dealing with relational problems in any of those institutions. But it's how we get good at it, though. We get good at dealing with these situations as fellow members of the body of Christ. And so peacemakers are blessed by the Lord, and they are a blessing individually and corporately as they pursue peace. There's great blessing in that pursuit. Peacemakers, going on, pursue peace by not accepting peace faking. They just won't accept it. It's easy to accept it, turns out. But we should not accept it. Peace faking. By not accepting even a temporary peace that may look like peace, but where actually nothing is resolved. 
Nothing's been resolved. I mean, on the surface, it looks like peace, where true reconciliation has not happened. Now, this is exactly what the world probably calls peace. Ah, there it is. It's done. Glad that's over. We can go on. But there has been no depth of peace. Jay Adams talks about a so-called peace when uh, there are various groups or parties or individuals who have been involved in conflict for some time, and they're just worn out. You know, this, oh, I can't take this anymore, this, this emotional struggle. And so they call a truce, but it's, it's too early. They call a truce, but he calls that peace by exhaustion. It's, yeah, okay. You give up, I give up because I can't do this anymore. So I guess we have to ask, what, is, what does true relational peace look like? That would take a long time. So I'm just going to look at two short passages, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We'd like to look there, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 talks about walking in a manner worthy of our calling, the calling with which we have been called. We're supposed to walk in a certain way as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been called, in fact, to be peacemakers. Part of that way is to be peacemakers. And verse 2 says, with all lowliness, meaning humility, and gentleness, with long-suffering, meaning we're called to be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love. Yes, sometimes we have to bear. We feel a lot. We have to put up with a lot. Maybe we feel. But we're to bear with one another in love. And then it says, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we have this bond of peace in the Holy Spirit, and we are to endeavor, we are to strive, uh, we are to pursue in the keeping of this that the Lord has purchased for us to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, but the wisdom that is from above, from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, again, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers sow the seeds of peace in their righteous, kind, loving words and actions. If you don't sow those things, which takes effort, obviously, you don't reap. Peacemaking means that you think you can reap the fruit of righteousness here when you don't do this, the work of sowing peace. Relational peace is part of the wisdom from above, from God, when we sow gentleness, when we sow a willingness to yield, it says. We don't always have to win. If you want the fruit of righteousness to grow in your life, sow peace, and you will grow peace. You will grow in righteousness. In November, at the November men's uh, prayer breakfast, Phil shared a little bit on forgiveness, and one of the last points he gave was, was, he said, was to actively pursue reconciliation and good relationships by clearing away the debris. And we talked about that a little bit. You know what debris is, the stuff you just don't need. It's in the way. You know, it makes sewing harder. And, and, and that was in three areas, in thought, in word, and in deed. So he talked about actively pursuing these things and good relationships by clearing away the debris in thought, in word, in deed. And regarding clearing away the debris uh, so you can sow the seeds of peace, just one verse on this. 
the Apostle John said in 1 John 3, little children, let us not love in word or in tongue or speech. Some versions say even. Let us not love, or just, let us not love just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, in actuality. And we can, we can fake peace, I believe, sometimes more easily, maybe by our speech, but especially by our lack of speaking. We can appear to have peace. But we need to sow for peace by actions and by truth. We're to stir up one another to love and good works. It's an action. Pursuing peace involves effort in clearing out the debris in our thoughts. We have to ask the Lord to change those, fill our mind with his word. And also, it takes effort uh, you know, to, to sow these seeds through our words and our actions. Now, our last point is related to a little bit of how to sow peace. How, did, how do we sow peace in our relationships here? And our point is peacemakers pursue peace with disciplined actions of faith. You know, getting down to actions again, discipline. And Paul, we, so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, he's using these pictures to help us understand uh, discipline, I guess. And he, and he said, um, and, and we're not to run aimlessly, by the way. We're, pursuit is not a, an aimless running, by the way. Pursuit means you're focused. And, and uh, Paul said, well, I'm like a runner. He said, I run this way, not with uncertainty, not at all. He, he was really directed like an athlete would be. And then he said, I don't fight this way either, not as one who beats the air. I mean, he was disciplined. He was probably hitting people. He wasn't really hitting people. But his picture was, he said, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. So we must, the pursuit of peace, you know, you just think peace. Well, maybe it'll just happen. No, it has to be a disciplined pursuit. It's clear that, that the God is calling us to that. Biblical peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it is the disciplined pursuit of peace in and through the conflict. This kind of peace doesn't just happen. Pursuit is an action. It takes effort. It's not passive. Now, I would say, you know, part of the pursuit of peace may appear to be passive. That is, when we are actually or metaphorically on our knees, in other words, in prayer. That might appear to be passive, but prayer is definitely not passive. It is a vital work of faith, and prayer takes discipline, takes disciplined effort. It is the foundation of the actions, any of the actions and the communication that is necessary for us to have peaceful relationships is founded in prayer. And I know you might picture pursuit as, like I said, running or, you know, leaning toward the, the finish line, the ribbon. And we may think, you know, how is prayer active? You know, pursuit is active. I just said that prayer is also, must be active, but it doesn't maybe appear that way. When we are running, in a sense, on our knees, you don't run very fast on your knees. But whether you pray on your knees or not, the point is, that is foundational in our pursuit. We can do a lot of actions without prayer, but we shouldn't. Jay Adams in uh, How to Help People in Conflict said this, a church characterized by shalom, we talk a lot about that here, shalom, a church characterized by shalom will not cease to have problems, he said. And then he went on to say, well, the difference is how, how they deal with the conflict. How is the conflict handled? Because they are going to have conflict, and we are going to have conflict. We have had and we will. So no matter how conflict is handled, disciplined prayer is foundational. 
May we become a church that prays as we are on this pursuit together. Later on, Jay Adams said, dealt with quickly, that is this conflict, dealt with quickly, biblically, and graciously, conflict may even strengthen the shalom of the body. Indeed, I believe that is how it is strengthened. And he went on, shalom, he's trying to define shalom. It turns out it's not that easy to define, but it's a wonderful word uh, to, to learn about. He said, shalom is a state of lush growth. I like that picture. And right now, especially outside, you don't see that. But think of it, a state of lush growth. In other words, lush, it's really blossoming. Shalom is a state of lush growth nurtured in loving relationships to God and your neighbor. It is not perfect. We are all sinners. But it is genuine, notable change from conflict. So a mature local church is constantly growing in how to deal with conflict quickly and completely, biblically certainly, and how to mature in relationships so there will be less conflict in the future. Ken Sandy in the book, The Peacemaker, I pray you all have, have this at home and it's not gathering dust. Um, it's a wonderful book. And in that book, he said, some people have learned that conflict is an opportunity to solve common problems in a way that honors God and offers benefits to those involved. It honors God and we are all blessed. And may we here see conflict in that way as an opportunity to honor God and an opportunity to develop stronger relationships, to develop shalom in the deeper sense of that word. And so here, to conclude, just a few actions I would suggest. There were many on my mind. I picked three. First of all, overlook an offense when possible. Overlook an offense. I believe many could be overlooked. And if not possible, and you must proceed on to a deeper level to uh, deal with conflict. If it's not possible or wise to overlook, commit to communicating through the conflict with an eagerness as we saw in Ephesians 4, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This bond of peace is through our being one in the Lord Jesus. And so we should be eager. He uses the word eager. We shouldn't be grudging. We should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We should, that should be our desire, to maintain a deeper level of peace. The peace that he made possible on the cross with a more eager pursuit. May we have a more eager pursuit in keeping it and developing it. Three Proverbs related to this. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love. He covers it. He seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. May the Lord keep us from this. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife or conflict. But love covers all sins. And in 1 Peter 4 it, it says, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. May we have fervent love for one another that overlooks offense when it, when it should be overlooked. Proverbs 19.11 says, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. It's his glory to overlook it. So we must practice patience, forgiveness, certainly grace, in the small matters where you might be able to take offense, but where it may have not been intended or it was likely not meant to offend, something that could be easily cleared up. Okay, secondly, second action I would suggest, 
is to guard your words. Guard your words. Psalm 141.3, something I pray for myself often, set a guard over your mouth, set a guard over your mouth, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Ask the Lord to stop you from rash and selfish words, words that hurt rather than words that heal, words that divide rather than unify. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. It shouldn't come out. Let no corrupt word, that which corrupts is what the meaning is. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Ask the Lord to help you more often speak edifying words, words that impart grace, words that result in peaceful relationships. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, just stirs up conflict. So it turns out how you say something is also important, as important as you know, the actual words you say, not just the words you say. You can say the same sentence in words, uh, but with you know, a different emphasis, and the meaning can come across very differently and be taken wrongly. And we have to remember, in the, as we talk a little bit about this here, that out of the abundance of the heart, of course, the mouth speaks. But if your emphasis is on the wrong syllable or on the wrong word, it could really communicate what you don't intend. So we have to pray about that. We have to think about how we say things. I know, this sounds like an awful lot of work. Because it's just easy, a lot easier to let it come out. But I think we all know the result of just letting it come out. So, for example, if, if a father's talking to a son or there's been a little battle here with, among the kids and, and he's going to ask a question, he's a little ticked, but, you know, he's, and he knows that's not going to help any. So he just wants to ask four words, you know, what did you do? That's all he's going to ask. How he asks it's going to change everything. So he says, well, um, what did you do? Okay, that's, not, it probably didn't stir up a whole lot there. But if he says, what did you do? Certainly he's going to stir up, you know, that child's going to react. You know, so all I'm saying here is, ask the Lord to teach us even how we say those words. And may, out of the abundance of our heart, maybe, you know, our desire is for peace. But think about this. Harsh words stir up anger and create conflict. Soft, kind words can turn away anger and they can turn away conflict. And then related to our speech is how we uh, talk about others. Not just to others, but how we talk about them, about other people. A talebearer creates division. And a church where gossip is unchecked will not be growing a culture of peace. When words are many, sin is not lacking also. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Stop the talebearing right there. Proverbs 26, 20 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. No wood, no fire. No talebearer, strife ceases. So basically, gossip causes conflict. It may be uh, thought that it was in secret, well-meaning, but it comes around usually, and it causes division. May the Lord keep us from that. May the Lord keep us uh, from gossip. May we learn to speak words of grace and, and avoid it. Finally, we must communicate openly through conflict. Maybe that was a given. Maybe 
You've already thought of this, but if you'd turn, if you'd like to turn uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to look at a, just a few verses. 2 Corinthians 6 uh, begins in verse 11, and I'll try to give this the right em- emphasis, not emphasis, the right emphasis. This is Paul. His heart is kind of broken, and he's poured out his heart to the Corinthians. He's written a letter where he told them, how many times have I died for my love for you? I, I, I could have died for my love for you. What he had gone through. And he said this, Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as the children. In other words, I love you as my children. Now in return for the same, just the way I've done to you, you also be open. He's pleading with them. He loves them. He told the Corinthians that the restriction in their communication and their relationship was not due to, to him and to those who were with him, but the restriction was because the Corinthians did not respond openly. When Paul's heart was wide open, he said, they just didn't respond. He set the pace. He initiated, and he expected some response. He shared his weaknesses. He shared his emotions in this letter, but they were restricted in a closer relationship by their own affections or the lack of them. Peaceful relationships are not possible with closed hearts. And Paul, again, a little later on in the same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he said, he pleaded with them again, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. In other words, there's no reason. From us, anyway, there's no reason for you to hide your hearts from us. He wasn't using them, he said. He'd greatly sacrificed for them. And yet here they were, closed themselves. And he says, I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Whatever happens, we love you this much. We're still going to be open. We love you that much. So he's not condemning, but he's pleading with them to open their hearts. He knows that they will not be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord unless they learn to be more open with him and also with each other. And he needed to know, any shepherd needs to know what the flock is thinking and feeling to be able to help them, let alone that that is what family members do or should do. And while I know, while there are some among us who are not as, they're not just made this way, they're not communicative, they're not gushy, maybe, um, they're not as communicative as others, but even they and all of us should be growing and being open with each other here. I believe we are. I believe I've seen it, I've been here 15 years. I praise God for it. But especially with a few brothers or sisters, in a deeper way. We're all members of the body of Christ by the design of the Lord here. We have been assembled here by his purposes. So that part of the reason is that we'll grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord together as we are open-hearted. We're to love one another and encourage one another, and that can't all be done non-verbally and with closed hearts. We should all be growing in open communication with each other, even with those you don't relate with as well as you do with others, because it takes humility. And it turns out humility is a character quality we all need to grow in. And part of the pursuit of peace is for us to be open and thus deal with matters that might cause conflict. Deal with them proactively, 
not just reactively. We should all be growing in this kind of communication. We should be proactive in stopping miscommunication or whatever it may be, uh, but just dealing with it. We shouldn't not avoid it, not just be reactive either. Unless we are growing in this kind of openness that I mentioned, we are not really, I believe, pursuing peace. How, how can it be? How can we be pursuing peace? We should have a hard time, I think, or we would have a hard time, I think, saying that we are really applying these verses on pursuit, the pursuit of peace, if we are not being more open with each other. I praise God, as I said, for our openness. May God cause us to press even more so in that area. Press ahead. We have two booklets that you were handed out. I believe all of you were handed out uh, several weeks ago. And just to conclude, I want to remind us of a few things. First of all, the first book it is called, this little pamphlet is Peacemaking Principles. And the subtitle is Responding to Conflict Biblically. I believe we've handed a lot of these out over the years. And it's based on the book, The Peacemaker from Ken Sandy, on Matthew, from, mostly from Matthew 18. It's, it's helpful just to look at this if you didn't have time to read this. But I would encourage you to read this. In fact, I'm going to share a little bit about a conference we're going to have in August. If you haven't read this book, you have eight months, you know, so press on in that. Uh, the second pamphlet is Relational Wisdom 360. Phil shared, used that terminology. Ken Sandy tends to use that terminology now more also. And if you go to his website, and if you type in relation, Relational Wisdom 360, or rw360.org, I think it is, they have wonderful material there. Very helpful. And so I would urge you, if you haven't read these already, to go home and uh, to look at these because they're going to relate to the coming year. As Phil shared, uh, the elders have been praying and thinking about this. We believe this is something we are meant to pursue this year. And uh, we want to we grow in pursuing peace. And we will be sharing at the congregational meeting uh, in a few months uh, related to our goals. But uh, we are praying that we would be even more characterized by what Ken Sandy calls a culture of peace. May that culture be what people, maybe they can't define it if they come in here and see us, but they'll know it. So, wow, there's, there's a culture of peace in this place. Maybe sometime they'll figure that out. Say it. And that is in August. We're praying that this conference will be in August and that Ken Sandy or representatives of, of the, the, his organization will be here in August. Also, we'll be with the, that'll be the uh, celebration of our 20th anniversary at that point. And the theme will be making peace through conflict and continually developing peace through relational wisdom. Now, I have some handouts on the back table. The one that I give every year at this time, from Don Whitney, it says 10 questions you're going to ask to go home and think about goals, although there's 30 questions on the sheet. I don't know why. But So there, question number six, though, says, what is the most helpful new way you could strengthen your church this coming year? The most helpful new way that you could strengthen your church. And I would like to suggest the one answer might be that you will pursue being a peacemaker in a way that you haven't before. You will pursue it to a deeper level that you have not believed maybe is possible with your brothers and sisters in Christ or with your elders. And to conclude, if you look on the back of your notes, 
This is called the Peacemaker's Pledge. It is in the membership uh, document that you have all signed. If you are a member, you have read this and signed. Or you said, you, by signing it, you said you had read it. Uh, I just want to refer to those things which are underlined, and then we'll pray. This is a Peacemaker's Pledge. It says, therefore, in response to God's love and in reliance on his grace, we commit ourselves this year, now, to respond to conflict according to the following principles. Glorify God, get the log out of your eye, go and show your brother his fault, go and be reconciled. Those are the major sections of that book. And then if you look below, <clears throat> by God's grace, we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship. We are stewardships in this pursuit. Realizing that conflict is an opportunity, not an accident. We must look at it that way. I mean, it's painful, but it's an opportunity. And the God of grace will change us through that. And then finally, we will pray that our service as peacemakers brings praise to our Lord and leads others to know his infinite love. Amen. May that be so in this congregation. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are worthy of all praise. And we as your people bow now in submission to say that we desire to understand your word. We desire to obey you. And we desire to be peacemakers for your glory and the edifying of the body of Christ. Lord, we praise you for making peace possible at all. Peace with God and, and with each other. And that the chastisement for our peace, Lord, was upon you. And may we follow hard after you this year. May we become more like you and grow as peacemakers by walking in the Spirit. May we accept no fake peace, that which is not pleasing to you, but determined by your grace to impart grace with our words and to be open and to love one another and, and so be willing to pursue peace. Oh Lord, fill us, fill us all with the Spirit of peace, with true shalom, that we might glorify your name, for we ask this, we ask all these things in the name of the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.